So we are, we are going to be talking about nation building today. When I, when I first got born again, I was born again into a movement that really sincerely believed that we were meant to take over nations. And you guess what? I never grew out of it. I just, I feel that beating in my heart that, that this gospel that we preach is so incredible. It's so amazing that it has the power to not only change individuals, it has the power to change communities. It has the power to change nations. You know, as we live in South Africa today, there are some things happening that make me tremble in my boots. Do they make you tremble in your boots? Don't answer out loud. But there there are some things going on that make you feel, oh my word, how is our future going to look? What is the future going to be for my children? And when those thoughts come to me, I remember this truth, that God is the God of nations. That he didn't cause you to be born in this place to give you a a desolate or difficult future. He caused you to be born in South Africa at this time, in the family that you were born, with the skin color that you have, with the culture and the race that you grew up with, for a reason. He's not a haphazard God that just throws some stuff out and says, oh, let's see what happens. He's calculating. He's wise. He's knowledgeable. When he wove you together in your mother's womb, he was very, very certain that the circumstances you were going to be born into would create the maximum ability for you to know him and for you to release his kingdom in a way that would bring him glory. And I know you might look at the circumstances in which you were born and say, oh my word, how can that be God's will? I'm here to tell you today That when you were born into that place, God knew, he understood, he placed in you the exact gifts and graces whereby he could infiltrate your heart, ignite with those graces and explode into that environment and change it. There was a a man 2,000 years ago or so. He lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus for three years and then saw Jesus crucified and raised again. He was so passionate about Jesus that he was unwilling to leave Jesus even in his worst hour. He was the only disciple who stood at the cross. He was the only disciple that wasn't willing to desert Jesus. They tried to kill him. They tried to boil him in oil. (laughs) He couldn't be killed. (laughs) And one day... He was sitting quietly by himself and just remembering who Jesus was and what Jesus had meant to him. And he had this incredible vision. He wrote it down in the book of Revelation. You can go and read it. Some of it is wild and fantastic and some of it just, oh my word, I don't fully understand it. And some of it's so comforting to our hearts. But as he was there, he looked forward and he saw a time and he he wrote it like this. He said, there will come a time when the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ and he will reign forever and ever. What was he saying? He was saying there is a time coming when Jesus will be supreme of everything. But here's the interesting thing is that some chapters before that, he wrote this, that God was going to gather from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language a people that he had redeemed. And these people were going to become his kings and his priests, and they were going to rule in the land. You know, we think of rulership and we think perhaps of um, a strong man commanding you to do what what he wants you to do. But rulership in the kingdom is a little bit different. Rulership in the kingdom is influence. Amen. 
Rulership in the kingdom is a love poured out that it is so undeniable that you have no choice but to submit to it. And John the Apostle was looking forward to see a people, you and me, down the line, a people so consumed with the love for Jesus that we were unwilling to stop at any obstacle. And that God was going to redeem us out of every kind of place. And he was going to make us into a people who would stand with the truth of Jesus Christ. Influencing kings and, and rulers and nations in such a way that those entire nations were going to serve God. And you may not think of yourself like that. You may not think of yourself as a world changer, as a, a nation converter. <laughs> God thinks of you like that. And every interface you have with someone where you release the truth of Jesus Christ is a nation-changing opportunity. Every time you stand at your workplace and you refuse to give in to corruption, it's a nation-building opportunity. The world is different because you stood your ground. Every time you love someone who is unlovable, the nation is different. Every time you step out of your comfort zone, the nation is different. Every time you face a challenge, and instead of saying, this is too difficult for me, you retreat into God and say, God, give me the answer for this. And you come with a solution that people around you haven't thought of. Why? Because you have the mind of Christ. And every time that happens, the nation is different. And I tell you, blow by blow, inch by inch, person by person, I want to prophesy this, we will change this nation. And you know what? I listen to the news and stuff goes on. And I like shake my head, wring my hands, want to pull over because it's usually in the car and just, I don't know, fall on my face interceding or cry. But I remember this. Guys, I remember this. That the ANC, God bless them, are not in charge of this country. The EFF, the DA, they're not in charge of this country. Jesus Christ died. And he rose again. And our Heavenly Father gave him the nations. I'm about to prove that to you. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he has a plan for this nation that supersedes any political party, any great person, even your desires. And our job as Christians is to say, God, show me my place in this incredible, great plan of yours. There was another king who lived many thousands of years ago. I don't know how many thousands of years ago it was. And he, he wrote a psalm. It's Psalm 2, and it was a coronation psalm. It was King David. He wrote this coronation psalm that was to be read at the coronation of all the kings from then onwards. And this psalm talked about why do the nations rage and conspire and plot a vain thing against the king. And then it says, God in the heavens laughs. And what he's talking about, he's talking about a very real situation that we live in in this day and age, where there are nations that, that are or have moved away from God's ways. And as a result are thwarting and proclaiming things that are different from God's truths and his kingdom building aspects. I think that's the word. 
And instead of God sitting there in fear, it says he actually laughs because he's so absolutely certain that his way is going to prevail. It then goes and talks about the king, but we can read from the psalm that David has long since stopped talking about the natural king and he started talking about the Messiah that would come, who is King Jesus. We'll pick up reading it um, from verse 7. It says this, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is the son? Have you ever wondered about that? No, I'm getting some confused. Look, he is, you're saying he's the son. He's Jesus. That's who he is. But he's also God. And so why didn't he just come as God? Why did he come as the son of God? Why didn't he just, here I am, God the creator. Because one of the things Jesus came to do was to model for us a way of living, to introduce us to a way of being with God. And in order to introduce us to our true destiny, which is sons and daughters of God, he had to model a way, show what it meant to be a son. And when he came as a son, he showed us who we are. We're not God. That's one thing you have to get straight. Right at the beginning. It helps in life to realize that. But he showed us what it meant to be sons and daughters of God. And in this moment, David is talking about how when Jesus um, had done his great sacrifice and received the reward of his suffering, God commended him saying, good and faithful son. You have shown the way. You have modeled this well. And he goes on and he says, God talking to Jesus, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You know, when I read this, it does something in my soul. You know what? I just, I hear God speaking not only to Jesus, I hear God speaking to me in Jesus. Because when I got born again, I surrendered the lordship of my life and I said, God, now... You are in charge of everything and I give my life to you. I'm now no longer just me. I am found in you. And when I hear God the Father speaking to Jesus Christ, that he's giving him nations as an inheritance, in essence he's speaking to me. In essence he's speaking to you. That he's giving us nations as inheritances. There are three things I get from this passage. And the first thing is that God cares about nations. You know, in nations, you will, you will have seen that there are different aspects of nations. So you have government, you have um, education, you have the justice system, you have the police force, you have economics, you have arts and media and entertainment, you have the scientific community. All of these communities together make up sort of pillars or mountains, the Bible talks about them, places of authority or influence in a nation. The Bible talks about in Psalm 2, I didn't actually write it down but, or show it to you, but you can read it for yourself. It talks about how he will establish Jesus Christ, his king, on Mount Zion. The Bible also talks about that the mountain of the Lord will become the chief mountain of all the mountains in a nation. Now many of you, as you were growing up, really didn't 
dream of being pastors? How many of you dreamed of being a pastor? Okay, so I see no hands going up. (laughs) But you dreamed of something. And you know, often we feel like I have to be in the church to make a difference. But the nation doesn't just consist of the church. The nation consists of all these different aspects. And God has placed each and every one of you in one of these mountains or on one of these mountains. It's hard to be in a mountain. It's much better to be on a mountain. So as he's placed you all in a, in a place of influence, he wants to affirm to each and every one of you that that is a good and a right place to be. That you're not less of a citizen because you're somehow not a full-time minister. A so-called full-time minister. But even as you sit on that mountain, you are called in that place to bring his kingdom. You are as much an asset in his hand as someone who is leading a church. That in essence, you are leading the armies of heaven in that place to take that mountain. And if you're a lawyer, if you're a government official, if you're a teacher, if you're a businessman, I'm here to tell you that you are on the front lines of the kingdom growing in this nation. You have seen this scripture a thousand times. If you've been in this church longer than a day, you should be able to quote this off by heart. But as Ryan talked about the fact that Jesus actually won all authority. In other words, he's absolutely in charge. Did you know that? He is absolutely in charge. And he said this, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Have you ever thought about that phrase in its entirety? That you're not meant to just disciple people. You're meant to disciple nations. Entire people groups. Entire spheres of society. Entire mountains. God has put inside of you the wisdom and the grace to influence those. So that they will come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Just imagine for a minute what it would be like if the media industry in South Africa was under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Just picture that for a moment. What kind of movies would we be getting? What kind of adverts would be playing? What would be reading in our newspapers, in our magazines, online? Just picture for a moment what it would be like if our police force was under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? What about if our government served God? What about that? That would be pretty awesome. What if all our judges feared God? I mean, it's just, it's actually, you know, there's something in my heart when I think about that is I want to taste that. I want to know what that's like. I want to know. I mean, I don't think throughout history we've ever seen the fullness of that. But we stand in a nation that is on the verge of revival. And I'm telling you this, if we stick to Jesus, if we play our part, if we unfailingly speak the truth we know on the occasions we get, we get to speak, if we unfailingly do the right thing, appropriate his grace, believe for miracles in our environments, I'm telling you we will taste this. 
The next thing I want you to notice is that God gives nations to sons and daughters. Jesus, when he was baptized and he came up from the water, it says the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him and there was a voice that everyone heard that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Sounds really fantastic. But when you know what was actually going on, it's even more fantastic. Is that the Jews had a, a culture where a way of doing things whereby when a father wanted to hand over his business to his son, he would bring his son before the village elders and he would stand him in front of all the village elders and he would say, this is my son and I'm well pleased with him. He is authorized to do business on my behalf. So that that moment, God was handing the business of the kingdom to Jesus. And you know what I hear him saying to each and every one of you? Well done, my good and faithful son and daughter. Or this is my son and daughter or daughter in whom I am well pleased. I hear the Spirit of God handing the business of the kingdom to us. I'm actually going to skip that verse. Uh, Daniel 1.20 talks about, now I can't skip it. But um, in Daniel, the book of Daniel, it's the account of the Jewish people as they were taken into captivity. Now here's the interesting thing. Throughout that book, that people group were considered slaves in Babylon and the subsequent empires. You know, often we bemoan our circumstances, but I'm telling you right now, their circumstances were worse. At that moment, in that great crisis for that nation, four of the the nobles of the, the nation were brought before the king and they were told that they must submit to all the ways of that nation. And you know what? They just said no. They said, we'll serve you, but we're going to do it in a way that glorifies our God. And they refused to partake of the ways of the, the pagan ways of that nation. And it says when they were finally brought before the king, it says this of them, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the musicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Daniel went on basically to lead that empire. You don't understand that, but a slave boy who just chose to serve God and not compromise what he believed in a very short time came, became senior advisor to the emperor. And not only that emperor, but the, the subsequent three emperors after that. He basically ran that empire, that empire, the Persian empire that he was a part of, wrote a bill of rights that we still base all our bill of rights in nations on. Yeah. I want to ask you, where do you think it came from? It came from men and women who were convinced that God was their father and were convinced that God would work through them no matter what their circumstances were, refused to bow to their circumstances and said... We will serve the living God no matter what. And even in this place, we will turn this desert into an oasis. 
The last point is that Jesus inherits everything. I wanted to tell you a story first before I went on there, just looking at how, how God gives nations to sons and daughters. I have a friend, and she has a daughter, and this um, daughter was very good at maths. And this daughter was entered into the Maths Olympiads. You remember at school, those Maths Olympiads? You remember those questions that I'm sure were written in Greek or something, because seriously, no human being could understand them. <laughs> And then you worked out the answer and then you had multiple choice and not, none of those were the answer you had. <laughs> you remember those tests. You remember them. Just like hieroglyphics. So this daughter went into these, uh, these exams and found them fairly difficult. But guess what? She passed as one of the, the top students those Olympiads and was, went to the next row, round and the next round and it may surprise you to learn that she eventually got her um, Gauteng colours for maths. That's what happens at the end of those Olympiads. We never knew that because none of us got there. But that's what happens. And the mother spoke to the daughter and the daughter um, shared this. She said, you know, I feel like a bit of a fraud. Because when I go into those tests, I read the question, I have no idea what they're saying, and then I pray and ask God, and the answer comes to me. So she said, I feel like I'm cheating. <laughs> so the mother turned to her and said, no, you're not a fraud. You're a daughter. That's, that's how daughters of the most high God roll, guys. If we don't have the answer, we just ask our dad and we get it. And that's how Daniel ended up as one of the chief advisors in the most powerful kingdom of the day. Why? Because he asked his dad. And his dad told him stuff. Then yeah. he had answers that the people around him couldn't know. He wasn't smart or wise or been to more universities than them. He just knew God. Yeah. So ultimately, Jesus inherits everything. Which means this, that one day he's coming back and he's going to ask you what he, you did with the grace he gave you. That's the scary part of God. You know, God, God is like love and kindness and beauty and he's incredible. And gosh, every time I'm with him, I just fall more in love with him. But he's also the creator of the universe. And he also knows what's right and wrong. And what he, what he created and who he is is good and right. And everything outside of that is not good and right. And as he's entrusted this, this country, your life, your relationships to you, at some st stage, you're going to stand before him and he's going to say, my beautiful, son, my beautiful daughter, my handsome son, what did you do with the grace I gave you? Yeah. Not because he wants to judge you or be mean, but he, he wants to see what you've done. Like a good father, he wants to know what you've produced. And at some stage, we will all give an account of our lives. And sometimes, you know, I remember when my children were young and all my life consisted of was nappies and cleaning. There was just, you know, there was nothing else. You just changed nappies and you cleaned up goop. And all the young mothers know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, and I love my husband. <laughs> Did I do it okay, darling? <laughs> we're still married, so I obviously passed there. remember one day hanging up another row of nappies on the line and I remember saying God there's got to be more to life than this and you know I, 
I felt him come to me so gently and say this to me. Don't waste this time. It's all you've got. And as I stood there hanging up those nappies, something hit me. I just realized, you know what? I can hang up nappies with a really bad attitude. Or I can hang up nappies and believe I'm changing the world. And so I changed. And I realized as I'm hanging up these nappies, I am raising children that are going to transform nations. As I'm standing here, I'm looking over my neighbor's wall and I'm praying for her so that she will become a nation changer in her own right. As I'm standing here, my prayers and my faith in front of this wet dripping nappy is creating avenues for God to move somewhere. And you know, after that, it was like I, I looked for reasons to hang up nappies on the line. Because, gosh, me and God, we were doing stuff. We were doing stuff. But here's the bottom line, church. Actually, let me read a scripture before I go to the bottom line. It's just, if you, if you haven't ever studied Colossians, seriously... It is one of the greatest books of the Bible. And when you finish reading Colossians, all you want to do is lie on the floor and worship Jesus because it presents him as, as he is, the most glorious being in the universe. But in Colossians 1 from verse 15, it says this, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Everything in history is moving towards one thing. And that is Jesus Christ glorified, King of the world, in charge of all. His glory displayed to all of creation. There is no other end. And you and I have the glorious privilege of taking our dad's hand and creating avenues for that to come. So that this God who really, really doesn't need us will stand at the end in his glory and say, thank you, my good and faithful servants. In other words, he leaves some things undone so that you can do them, so that you can be part of his glory. That's how much he loves you. When he stands there in that day, he wants you with him and a part of the victory. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we're not just incidental products of evolution, Lord God. <laughs> we actually are your beautiful design. Lord, and I ask, my Father, that you would, you would come and solidify that in every heart. Lord, I'm asking, I'm asking that each and every one of us would understand, would understand who we are and who we were created to be. Lord God, all the small thinking in our hearts, I just pray. I just pray that you would That you would obliterate that. Lord God, you know what? There's places where we see ourselves as less than we are. Father God, I'm asking you would come and do that. Every fear. Father God, even our pride is so much smaller than how you see us. Lord, help us to let go of that. Father God, to prov- stop trying to be something just by hard work. To, to rather surrender to your purposes and your ways. 
to find the glorious liberty of being in partnership with you of following what you're saying to us of hearing your word to us Lord God of of being great where it is impossible to be great on our own thank you Lord Lord I pray for each person here that they indeed would be transformed by the knowledge of Jesus Christ thank you my Father Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Father. Just with every head bowed, I just want to, I want to speak to a group of people here that as I've been speaking, you, you've, kind of, you've kind of felt in your heart, you know what, I, I know of Jesus, I know about Jesus, I've been in church somewhat, but I haven't really surrendered my life to him. I haven't really said at some stage, Lord, I, I want to be yours. And I want to live my life for your purposes and not my own purposes. Thank you, Lord. And if there's anyone here, you want to make that kind of change in your life, I'm going to ask you if you would raise your hand so I can know who you are because I would like to pray with you. Is there anyone here who would like to make that change? Great. Just raise it up high. Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Church, can we all just pray this together? Lord Jesus, I come... And I surrender my life to you. Lord, I ask that you would take my life and you would turn it into something beautiful. I repent and turn away from living my life my way. And I surrender to your love. And I ask that you would be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name.